to the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. Uh, yeah, John Garcia, yeah, I'm joined by uh, Sports Illustrated All-American football director. Um, he's joining us again. Uh, you know, your third or fourth time on the show, John, you're a recurring guest. Wanted to get you on here, though, uh, to really talk about, you know, Alabama's big week, potential news that could come down the line. And a little recap of the Elite 11. It's great to have you on here, man. And uh, I know you're driving right now, so we do appreciate your time. Yes, I have time today. There's no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, always good to be on you. Uh, first off, John, let's go ahead and dive into it. Monday night, he announces, you know, he's going to decommit from the Buckeyes. And then, uh, you know, not, not, not even like not even a full week, not even a full week. He, you know, he didn't take him long to figure out what he was doing next, and that's joining Alabama's class. What is kind of your take, maybe on his recruitment a little bit, and then also what he brings to the table? Well, yeah, I remember when he first committed to, to Ohio State. First of all, the name obviously catches your attention, right? You're like, oh wow, he spells it the same way and everything. Uh, but beyond that, when he first committed to Ohio State. I was like, wow, why hadn't I taken a look at this kid before? Uh, so I remember back then uh, digging into his tape a little bit, and even though he was an in-state get for Ohio State, I was like, man, this is a good find. This is a guy who, you know, if he lived somewhere else, would have been a huge name, like, already nationally. And I think that's still sort of the prevailing thought with Smith. He's a big corner, you know, six foot, 185 or so. He's got a really good frame. That's sort of the, the – the classic Nick Saban corner height weight requirements. But, you know, Nick was ahead in that trend. You know, needing a corner six foot with length is now pretty much the standard everywhere um, because you're combating five wide. You're combating 50-50 balls, back shoulders, uh, RPOs, a lot of things that, that lead these guys on an island. So, naturally, the longer they are, the more range they have, uh, the better. So, ball skills and length are really more of a premium now than they've ever been. Uh, so anybody in that light is, is always a good pickup. Um, and like you said, when he decommitted from Ohio State, um, I knew Alabama was involved, but I didn't think it was going to move that quickly. So um, obviously the optics of it look good. You know, it's like if Ohio State went into Alabama and picked up a kid who was previously committed to UA, it would look really good optically for, for the Buckeyes. So I think the converse does apply here. Um, and like I said, he's a kid that I was I was kind of mad that I hadn't evaluated prior when he originally committed to OSU. So I think he's one that is a, another one who, who, if he was somewhere else, this would be a national name from the beginning. Uh, so I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of Devontae Smith. Would love to see him in person at some point. And uh, like you said, momentum's building pretty quickly here for, for Bama. Uh, yeah, so with Devontae, you know, we, we just had a story up on uh, on our site from his coach. I was able to talk to Pat of the LaSalle. And, and one thing that I just took away from our conversation, and which I'm getting from a lot of these coaches that I've been talking to, is that he's a leader. He has that natural ability to, to, to galvanize others. And then also, too, he's super coachable. And I think that's a trait that uh, the majority, I would probably say 95% of this class has right now um, in this 2021 class at Alabama. And that's obviously great traits to have. And when you can sit back, right, during this whole COVID pandemic, when these coaches can sit back, evaluate more, 
that's that could that's, that could be a good thing. And Alabama is obviously proving that it's a good thing. Now, some other schools it hasn't been great for, but with Alabama, right, they're 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 being even more selective than they normally are. And it's just really good time for um for them to sit back and say, hey man, like how would this guy fit? And because you don't get him in a camp setting, you kind of have to do that before you got to make a decision on if he's going to be a take or not. So uh, I think with him too, you know, just like uh, guys like Anquin Barnes down in uh, Lee Montgomery, he'll be a high riser in the rankings across the board. Um, I think Ian Jackson will be another high riser. And then Devontae Smith too, he'll be a high riser. So, you know, he might be like a consensus, you know, he might be a three-star or whatever. Um, but, you know, these guys know – Nick Saban, the coach, they know how to evaluate talent better than most. And uh, they're going to show that because by the end of the day, right, like Devontae Smith, I think he was sitting at number 400 in the country. And I don't know where SL American is going to have him. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him potentially top 250, top 275, um, right. you know, by the yeah. end of it all. Yeah, and, and you talked about, you made a good point about the evaluation strategy here. It, it's definitely been a patient one from Alabama. We know it's, it's, it goes both ways, right? So, so Nick really – thrives on those camp evals, right? He wants, I mean, in a perfect world, everybody would camp in front of him before earning an offer. Um, but he's really particular about his corners. I mean, everybody knows that he's coached the corners. I think the whole time he's been at Alabama, probably for the last, you know, his entire coaching career, he's been involved with that position more than most or as much or more than most. Um, so when you look for trust and those, those external factors beyond the physical – I think what you hit on uh, with the leadership role, according to the LaSalle High School coach, that's huge. And, and you think of the connections to LaSalle High School. Obviously, Nick has a ton of ties to Ohio dating back, you know, through his career. But Bama went and got Derek Keith a few years ago uh, from that same high school. So, so now there's a relationship there. There's precedent there. And Derek Keith was one of those sort of glue guys, played special teams, a little bit on offense as a reserve, did a little bit of everything. Um, so – he trusts that coach. That evaluation with Keith five years ago or whatever it was came back correct. So you build a precedent there between these two programs, which is really rare for a school like Alabama to have one of those in the state of Ohio, given how dominant Ohio State is in recruiting. But I think it's another example as to how everybody's recruiting national these days. You know, ten years ago, the top ten players they're going to Ohio State. A couple, a couple will, will rebel and go to Michigan and and two will, will go to Notre Dame or something like that. But now everybody's recruiting nationally, including the Buckeyes. So now there's a little bit more real estate for other programs to jump into Ohio and, and make a move. Yeah, and there's another uh, 2022 guy um, who I was talking to uh, LaSalle coach about. Uh, you know, his name's Pat McLaughlin, the coach. But the player I'm talking about is Jabron Payne, who's um, one of the best running backs in the 2022 class. He actually just tweeted out, um, you probably didn't see this, Johnny, obviously, because you're driving, but he tweeted out he's going to drop a top 10. Alabama just offered him, and, uh, and you know, so who knows? Alabama potentially could have a, uh, another uh, LaSalle uh, product down the line. There you go, yeah. And uh, if Alabama just offered and he's dropping a top 10, a group that big, I would uh, I'd put a couple dollars on Alabama making that list. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. But then also, along with the Devontae Smith news that came on Monday, on Wednesday, Alabama got even more good news when Dallas Turner, man, you know, arguably the best defensive end in this class, announced he was committing to the Crimson Tide over Georgia, Florida, Michigan, Oklahoma. He also had offers from, you know, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. 
you know, John, I, I really, you know, I can't stress how big this get was right now for Alabama, right? Because, you, you know, you're, soli- you're, you're beginning. You saw it at the beginning kind of of when Alabama started taking guys, right? They were kind of filling out the offense, filling the needs, right? You got the three wide receivers. You're going to get a fourth, maybe, maybe a fifth. And then you've got J.C. Latham as the first tackle. Now you kind of shift it over to the defensive side of the ball a little bit and you get Dallas Turner. And if you want to project a little bit down the line for a couple more seasons, right, you look at Alabama's, uh, you know, edge rushers in that 2020 class. Now you pair them with um, Dallas Turner, and potentially you might get Jeremiah Williams from Ramsey. Um, you know, you look at the depth in the next few years. I mean, this is how you really build, a, you know, a college playoff team, and Dallas Turner is going to add that. He's going to be the main ingredient down the line, and I think he's going to have, you know, potentially room for instant impact whenever he arrives on campus. There's no doubt. This is this is a monster get for Alabama. Maybe outside of of, of J.C. Latham, maybe the the biggest get to this point. And the state of Florida obviously has been incredible to Alabama in this class. Um, first of all, big in, in who you beat out, right? You mentioned some of the schools, and this was this wasn't one of those. Oh, he got offered by Georgia and Ohio State when he was a freshman, and then they, they kind of faded. No, no, they they were in it. These schools were in it very much until right now, including Georgia especially. I think it's been built as a bit of a Bama-Georgia battle. So when, when you go head up against Kirby, uh, it's still a big win. We all know what Kirby can do on the trail. Uh, they had the number one class on SI All-American uh, just last year in 2020. So going head up and getting the victory there is, is still a very big deal uh, for Nick Saban. Um, on the field, he hasn't lost to an assistant, but off the field, he has. So that was big just in that regard. Uh, geographically, not only the state of Florida, but come on, you're talking South Florida, St. Thomas Aquinas High School. This is this is the Mecca, right? This is one of the, the what, five most recognizable high schools in America. And, and that whole, that city, that area, Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, has been really good to Alabama. St. Thomas in particular has been good to Alabama. Jordan Battle is the next star out of St. Thomas at that place for, for the Crimson Tide. And Dallas Turner may be the next one. So pipelining is always important there. We just talked about it at LaSalle. Times that by 100, and it's that much more important at St. Thomas. So it's a big win both in who you beat as well as geographically. But then you get to the field. You get to the evaluation. And positionally, we talked about DBs being a big group of emphasis in this age of a pass-first football, 40 pass attempts a game kind of football, you got to rush, rush the passer, right? you got to affect the passing game either on the front end with the D-line or on the back end with DBs. Uh, so if you do it on the front end, obviously it's your most immediate return. The pass never gets off. And this is a, a pure, pure pass rusher, great length, great bend. You know, bend, when you're talking about edge guys, uh, the tackles are getting bigger and longer as, as time goes on, and the edge prospects are getting a little bit more compact. So the way that that trend continues is if the bend with these pass rushers is still at a higher clip uh, than the, off, the offensive tackle uh, who's getting ground to meet the edge rusher at the contact point. And Dallas Turner is one of these guys that can beat some of the best tackles to that contact point. Great, great bend here. He's got closing speed. And he's got range. He could really run. He plays a little bit of offense even in high school. He's a really good overall athlete, but there is no doubt that his primary role, and you said it, he will be a pin your ears back on third down and, and get, get that corner um, against the offensive tackle and, and disrupt the passing game. So this is a monster get for Alabama, an absolute must 
in terms of what they want to do in rebuilding the defense. You mentioned last year a ton of edge presence. That's going to be built upon in the 21 class, and, and obviously Dallas Turner's about as ideal of a start there as you can have. Uh, and before we get into, you know, who could be next and the Elite 11 recap, which I, which I want to do spend a little bit of time on an Alabama target there. But, uh, you know, when we six weeks ago, John, Alabama was behind Missouri. They were behind Vandy in these recruiting rankings, right? And now they've shot up all the way uh, up until, you know, top 15 in a lot of places. And, you know, there was – I mean, obviously – there was a lot of Alabama fans who were on the outside. They were like, yeah, you know, nervous and everything. But now you're looking at the, the just the amount of four stars and the, the two five stars and the potential five stars that could join them. You're looking at this class ultimately ending up inside the top five, maybe even the top three, um, inching close to that Ohio State class. Look, man, two things. First of all, Bama fans are, are the most spoiled in America when it comes to recruiting. If there was any panic – there, shame on you, Bama fans, because your on and off the field success is unmatched in the last, what, 15 years compared to anybody, maybe in any sport, much less college football. So you're, you're very spoiled. If you're worried about it, shame on you because, you know, there's way too much history to worry about that stuff. There were a lot of other factors as to why it was a quote-unquote slow start. And I know you've talked about it. I've talked about it. We've talked about it together. So uh, that, was, that was just sort of lazy thinking. To, to worry at any point. Uh, and look, yeah, you're right, Tyler. But the chances of a top three class is, is, is solid right now. And if you look at what Ohio State and Clemson are doing, any potential to, to, to disrupt them, just the thought of it, is a very positive mark on the program that you follow. Because those classes are insane. They, they started quickly. They've got volume. They've got star power. They've got coast-to-coast attention. They, they both have their quarterbacks now, so they're able to kind of go at, at a, a quicker pace as needed, something Alabama, I think, is, is going to try to do here soon as well. So any, any shot of that ballpark is a good shot. Um, and then you talk about SEC. I mean, if you just have the best SEC recruiting class in America every year, you're going to be in good shape. Well, you look at the SEC – we don't know how big LSU's class is going to be, but we know Georgia's might be a little bit smaller, you know, maybe a 20-minute class. So multiple recruiting outlets do weigh a lot of volume in their, in their equation. You know, we don't, but others do. Um, and I'm not ignorant enough to think that everybody's, you know, waiting bated breath to see what our rankings are going to be with every class. They're looking around. They're trying to average it out and see where they stand on, on publication X, Y, and Z. But a lot of those, they rely on volume for a lot of that algorithm, a lot of that, that, that calculation. So if you know Georgia's going to take a smaller class, you're going to out-recruit Florida. That's pretty much a given. It's really Bama LSU when it comes to the SEC. So I think that is, is very favorable for UA. There's, there's, LSU has an interesting vibe right now. I was speaking to a, a very prominent recruit's uh, father yesterday, and we were talking about, oh, man, like, out of all the schools in the country, like, these are so solid and so set in. And I mentioned LSU as one of these solid, you know what you're getting programs. And he was like, well, they've had a lot of turnover here lately, right? Joe Burrow's gone. There's a lot of coaching changes. Joe Brady's gone. Dave Miranda's gone. A lot of the makeup of that natty team is not necessarily there from, from the, the coaching staff and obviously, you know, on the field. So, 
I think there's a little bit of a, a questionable vibe going on with LSU following up this national championship because so much has changed. And then you throw COVID in there and lack of visits, and we all know Baton Rouge is a great place. So my point is, Bama can get LSU in this recruiting cycle. And, uh, you know, Georgia taking a smaller class only helps that narrative for Alabama climbing the rankings. And, and I think the chance at, at the number one class in the SEC is not only attainable, I think Bama today would probably be the favorite for that if volume is a part of the evaluation. And you just mentioned the landscape of the SEC, John, and you mentioned Georgia too. Um, I want to get I want to get into them just for a brief second because this was Dallas Turner was a Bama Georgia battle. It was a true out of state battle, and Alabama won that one, right? And now you look at from another national recruit, Tony Grimes. Uh, you know, arguably the best cornerback in the country. He was down to you know Georgia, North Carolina. Texas A&M, Ohio State, those players in his business. And North Carolina went the connection with Gray Bly. That was a huge deal. But what do you what do you think is going on with Georgia a little bit here? Because I know Alabama fans look at this, right? Georgia right now is the biggest thing outside of LSU winning last year. Georgia is the thing a lot of Alabama fans look to, especially with Kirby Smart and how, how similar him and Coach Saban are in their, in their tactics and how they recruit. Well, what do you, what do you think is going on in Athens? I don't think anything's going on. I think they just missed. I mean, I think with Dallas Turner, Bama took took the lead, you know, with COVID. But there's a, there's Bama's made moves with COVID, um, and but when it sat back and, and recalibrated with that that slow start, Saban and company sat down and said, okay, what is our strategy going to become with with this pandemic and and with the technology that we can actually use? We heard J.C. Latham admit that Bama overtook. Ohio State and LSU because of COVID. Ja'Cory Brooks admitted that Bama overtook Florida during COVID-19. Uh, Dallas Turner was a Georgia lean at this time probably six months ago. And now through COVID-19, Bama has vaulted over. So I do think Bama's COVID strategy has been really, really good. Uh, they've been able to uptick a little bit uh, perceptionally uh, with, with the pandemic going on. You, you even see coaches tweeting out stuff. I mean, we never see Alabama coaches, assistant coaches, tweeting out stuff regarding recruiting. I mean, this was, used to be like a no-no under Nick Saban. I think Lane Kiffin was the first one to, to kind of not care and tweet anyway. Uh, but really beyond him, you didn't see it much from, from even great assistant coaches when, when you got a victory on the trail or especially before a commitment was made. And you look these last few days this week, Tyler, I mean, these Bama coaches are tweeting about the win with, with Devontae Smith. They're tweeting about the win with Dallas Turner. And they're also tweeting about something coming up. You know, So th- this is a different vibe with Alabama. I really think, and, and we'll have to ask Nick about this, I guess virtually uh, at some point at SEC Media Day, I really would be curious to know what that recalibration was with the COVID-19 strategy because – the effort was certainly increased, and the pressure Alabama put on recruits was certainly at a higher clip once we realized, okay, hey, this thing's going to be here a while. Everything has to be sort of rethumped. Um, but in terms of Georgia, I think they're fine. Uh, they've got Brock Vandegrift. Look, the state is loaded. It just so happens that some of these kids are, are waiting to make commitments. Amarius Mims is a Georgia-Bama-Auburn battle. Georgia's probably the favorite. Smile Mondon is a Georgia-Auburn-Tennessee battle. Georgia's probably the favorite, although Auburn really has some strong buzz here building in the last little bit. 
uh, with him. So they're going to do very, very well within state lines. And remember, they're taking a smaller class on top of that, you know. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't start to think, hey, Georgia's falling off a little bit. Something is, is going on. You know, they're still in it for Quincy McKinstry. Um, you know, it's going to be a battle for, for a lot of top prospects if Alabama is, is going to, to secure this top class in the SEC. Go into Georgia and pull an elite kid, then maybe we can start asking, hey, what, what's going on with Georgia? But I think right now that's a little too early. I think, like you said, North Carolina with Tony Grimes, look, Drake Line latched on and, and really didn't relent there. And North Carolina is building something really special in that region of South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. They're really locking that thing down. And I think Bama just beat them straight up when it came to uh, Dallas Turner. I want to ask you about everybody sitting or whatever. Negative recruiting has always been a thing, you know, and I know with Alabama, like, you know, Alabama necessarily doesn't have to do that, right? I mean, you look at you look at the wins of success on the field that you mentioned earlier, or off the field too, the recruiting national titles, the air quotes on that. But do you do you think I mean wh- what do you think the tactic is for for a lot of these schools now? Because like I look at Tony Grimes going to North Carolina, right? And I'm thinking, you know, because he was talking about Mac Brown when he announced he was talking about how much he loves Mac Brown and Mac Brown's going to coach me. You know, I mean, Mac Brown is Mac Brown going to be there three four years? You know, um, and I kind of think of that with Coach Saban too. Like, do you think that you know schools are out there that are like, hey man, you know, you're looking at this like. Coach, Coach Saban won't be there, you know, for your four, full four years or five years maybe. You know, what do you think the kind of the perspective is on that? Yeah, I think, you know, five, six years ago we heard a lot about negative recruiting against Alabama. Um, and, and the Saban age thing is always sort of the first, you know, shot fired, if, if that makes sense. But the returns over time – have actually hurt anybody that's negative recruited against anybody. You know, coaches or kids, kids want to hear about your school uh, and your experience. Uh, when you start bringing up other programs, a lot of elite kids have told me face-to-face, hey, you know, that tells me more about who you are than who you're trying to diss. So, um, and, and not to mention, why the, and why the hell would you recruit against Alabama? Why would you bring them up if you were Georgia or LSU or Florida Florida State, even Ohio State, Clemson, why would you bring up Alabama uh, when, when you're trying to theoretically move past them? You know what I'm saying? So don't don't put that – don't give them the pub, you know. Uh, that, that's the way I've always looked at it. Um, now, it will always be a thing. Negative recruiting will always be a thing. And, and, and until Nick Saban retires, that's going to be ammo for, for those coaches who elect to negatively recruit. But um, – I've always been told by elite kids, I'd rather you just talk to me about your school when you start bringing up other schools. That, that typically doesn't work. And oftentimes we have to wait to hear these scenarios until it, it's all over and the kid is signed uh, to school X. But, um, you know, after signing, they ask a few kids, Tyler, hey, you know, who negatively recruited? And, and see the reaction there. It, it's usually negative. <laughs> it's like, you know, Two wrongs don't make a right, but you know if, if you're negative against this school, I'm going to have a negative perception of it, and that's that's been the popular reaction from recruits. So um, those who do it will definitely play the the age card on Nick. Um, it's really one of the few things you, you can use. Maybe you go on staff turnover, or um, you know, 
hey, Bama's, Bama's slipping. The dynasty is, is, is going to die here. It's Clemson time, Ohio State time. But, again, if you're saying that, you're, you're lifting up other programs, right? So I just don't believe in it, and I know the elite recruits don't believe in it. Um, it that's a higher group of kids than the ones who, who enjoy it or, or laugh at it or, or take it in casually. I don't think it has an impact at the end of the day. Yeah, I just I, I just saw a little bit more of it recently because you know these these, these prospects they can't get on campus right so and they can't see that experience so when these coaches are talking to them they can give them all the virtual tours they want um, at the end of the day but those still aren't probably sufficient even though we have seen Alabama get three guys recently who have never stepped foot in Tuscaloosa Alabama um, for a visit you know but we've I've just seen it recently where it's like okay well you know they can't get the we can't really show them the experience. So let's just resort to that. Yeah, no, look, that that's the thing. We're all human, right? So everybody's talking so much more now because of, of what's happening, right? Everybody knows how to do a Zoom and a Google Meets all of a sudden, right? Like We never did that, you know, six months ago. We never did that. It was a phone call or you just saw eventually, right? So um, the, the game has changed with, with COVID-19 in so many ways that we don't even realize, but the volume of, of a coach talking to a kid is increased. Even think, think about a normal, a normal July, right? What's happening right now? Kids are gearing up for camp. They're planning out which ones they're going to hit. So let's say you do go camp at Alabama and you're, and you're a DB, so you're working with Saban and, and Carl Scott and Pete Golden, right? Even if you're the best DB there, how much one-on-one time do you have with those coaches? Maybe 10, 15 minutes if you're a truly elite kid. So that's 45 minutes um, over a one-month span because you're hitting all these other camps all these other days. Well, now you can have a 45-minute call with Carl Scott every night if you wanted to, right? Because there is no camp. So that the, the communication window is so much wider that naturally more elements are going to factor into the conversation. And unfortunately, negative recruiting is, is becoming one of them. Well, as we move off of that, John, let's get into a couple guys who could be next in this 2021 class. And I want to start with Kendrick Blackshear um, out of Duncanville, you know, four-star linebacker. He's coming off of an ACL injury from last season. You know, he's 6'2", close to 250. When I when I look at this guy, John, um, I, there were some photos that I saw of him recently, and he was like kind of in like a, a you know like a wife beater, and he was just like at a you know working out or something like that. And I'm like, this kid's 17 years old. This kid looks about 25. Like, you know the scene from the movie Bench Warmers, where, like, the 30-year-old man gives the guy yep. the empire, the birth thing, like, I'm 12, with, like, some money in it. That, that's I see, I see, I see Kendrick Blatch here. He's not 17. He doesn't look 17. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a grown man. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, like you said, coming off the ACL, uh, but, man, his sophomore tape is really good. You talk about an old-school cat. This is a big, physical, downhill linebacker. This is your – this is your. oh, you're playing Georgia in Atlanta for the title. You know, Georgia's coming downhill. This is the guy you want meeting those running backs downhill. You know, you play a ball game against, a, I don't know, Wisconsin or something. This is the guy you want coming downhill to combat that. Big, physical, tackle-to-tackle, downhill linebacker. But he's got decent range. I think he has the tools to eventually become a cover guy as well. You know, that's really important, you know, as a linebacker on third down. Are you off the field or are you able to contribute as a, a pass rusher or even in coverage? And I think he does have some tools 
for that, uh, depending on how he's healed up. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see. But, yeah, on the field, a big fan of his. I think there's a little bit of uh, maybe Courtney Upshaw type of role for a guy like that uh, who's who's a traditional linebacker, but maybe he can be built into, into a secondary pass rusher, um, which we've seen Alabama do a lot at the linebacker position, right? T.J. Mosley, Orlando McClain, uh, Dante Hightower. Uh, Ruben Foster, even though he wasn't really long, he rushed the passer a lot. Uh, Rashawn Evans was great at it. Bama's used linebackers for a lot of things uh, in the Nick Saban era, and I think he could be one that grows into it from a power perspective. He's a big physical cat, and I think uh, there's still room for guys like that, even though everything is so pass-happy and so spread it out and, and let the athletes play in space. Yes, everything's trending that way, but there's still a place for that big physical linebacker, just like there's still a place for a big nose tackle or a massive center or a power running back. There's still places in football for these type of players, and I think Blackshire has some upside to become something greater uh, once he gets to, to a big-time school. Yeah, he tweeted last night that he would be committing soon. He put a date or time on it, but he did say it would be soon. You know, he's got a top six, you know, Alabama, of course, LSU, Oklahoma, Illinois, Wisconsin as well. I, I, believe, I think Texas a was there too. Um, but I, I would be shocked, uh, you know, if Alabama was a pick here. Uh, he, you know, he's kind of generalized. I mean, Alabama's had so much buzz around him since, uh, you know, since for months now. And so it's just kind of been waiting and waiting and waiting on what he wants to do. And I think for the most part, it was really the visits thing, right? It was like, you know, waiting. Because when COVID hit, right, you, you couldn't have the visits until, okay, June. They extended it. July, they extended it. August, they extended it. So I think it was kind of waiting on the visits. Um, but I think we're about to see him go ahead and pull the trigger. And like I said, wouldn't be surprised if it if – it, I would be surprised if it's not the Crimson Tide. Yeah, when you said top six, my brain went to you – mean, do you mean top one? Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did think it's been a wait-and-see kind of a crew for, yeah, for months, for months at this point. And obviously, you know, it's the kid. You know, he'll have his moment. He'll do it how he wants to do it, and we'll, we'll react and follow up accordingly. But, uh, yeah, this thing has felt like Alabama's to lose for quite some time. And, and I know we talk about Alabama and Florida, and, look, that state is, is, is may win, you know, in this class in terms of just volume of prospects headed to Alabama. But – the state of Texas is going to have an impact on this Alabama class. And we've seen Emma strike absolute gold in the state of Texas on, on many fronts. Uh, I mean, right now, certainly, you know, Jalen Waddell is, is the first guy that comes to mind. Jalen Hurd. I mean, there's so, many, there's so many examples of great Texans that have played at Alabama. Deontay Thompson is one of my favorite. Uh, Bama offered him before Texas did. Incredible to think about. It was a different time, though. Anyway, the state of Texas is going to factor into this thing. Uh, with Alabama in this 2021 cycle. Uh, obviously, there's a couple of linemen Bama really likes from that state, but I do think uh, that a guy like Blackshear is, is another gateway guy. You, you need to spread your wings and go nationally, but Florida, Texas, California, uh, Georgia, you're never, you're never in the wrong direction if you're doing well in, in those, those big four states because they, they are now and for the foreseeable future will still be the, you know, the top four places where, where big athletes come from. And next up, you mentioned him earlier, and that's uh, Mr. Kool-Aid, the Quincy McKinstry out of uh, Pinson, right here in the Birmingham area in the state of Alabama. You know, John, for, for me, I've kind of got the vibe some that 
he's at the point where he's like, you know what, I, I released my top five and I'm just, you know, kind of sifting because I'm kind of done with the recruiting a little bit. Kind of, you know, he's been a national recruit for so long, it's been kind of wearing on him. And then yesterday, once Dallas Turner committed, he came out and tweeted out. He was like, he's like, y'all want me to release the top three or what? So, yeah, I, I kind of get the feel, too, a part of him that's like, I want to kind of have some more fun with this and tease some more people. But then also, too, he's like, man, it's kind of wearing on him. You know, but you can only be in the spotlight as a recruit for so long. Um, so, you know, trying to get a really good vibe on him. But, you know, for me, if, if he was to announce the top three, you got to think, right, Alabama, Auburn. And I, and I, I just – I believe LSU's generated enough steam to, to get in there as well, maybe above a Clemson. Yeah, I, I think it'll be all SEC when, when he does cut. Georgia, LSU would both be legitimate options. Um, I know at one point he was talking about going to the West Coast, Oregon, USC, you know, basketball factors in, into that uh, to a strong degree. Same reason he liked Florida at one point. Uh, but, yeah, this, this Iron Bowl duo is not going anywhere on his list. Uh, so if he does cut to three, it'll be really interesting. Is, is Georgia out or is LSU out? Because uh, from a football and basketball standpoint, both of those have some upside. Although I was told recently that Tom Crean and Georgia hoops haven't really gone all in on him as much as other schools have. So that could be a, a determining factor for Georgia potentially missing the cut, in my opinion. Uh, with some dual sport kids, you, you, you take the – secondary sport with a grain of salt Kool-Aid loves basketball he loves 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 basketball it's, it's not like Henry Ruggs with track or yeah I'm, I'm probably going to give up track and same thing with baseball but you know we'll see now there's no we'll see yet with Kool-Aid at least at least not in our four years of conversation that we've had he wants to legitimately play ball at the next level and, and of the schools in his top group Georgia to my knowledge is the one that has been last in terms of in in terms of pressure with the basketball side of the recruitment. So if that is true, then I could see Georgia being the, the odd man out when he does cut down once again. Uh, which would be big news, which would be big news. Obviously we know Georgia's recruited DBs incredibly well, about as well as anybody over the last, you know, five or six years. Yeah. So that'd be that'd be big for Alabama. Um, but again, if you're talking DBs and you gotta go against uh LSU and Auburn, that's still a pretty tough hill to climb, especially given the connections that Kool-Aid has, has to Auburn. So that's going to be fascinating either way. But I, I do get the sense he's a little over it, but I also get the sense that he still kind of loves the spotlight, and I think I think he maybe pushes this thing, you know, pretty deep into the season, and maybe the December. I could see Kool-Aid absolutely doing that. Uh, he, he does want to take more visits. So I do think that's a part of it. But obviously, like you said earlier, every time kids start to think about visits, the NCAA pushes the dead period back another month. And now we're at September 1st uh, at the earliest uh, at this current construction. So, yeah, who's to say we'll have visits the rest of the year? I don't know. So if visits are a factor, I could see him waiting it out just a little bit. But if not for the visits, maybe for, for a little bit more shine. Uh, as, as, as he's not afraid of that spotlight at receiver, DB, basketball, any of it. There's one more guy I want to mention and then close up with some Elite 11 stuff. Uh, five-star defensive tackle, uh, Damon Payne. This is a guy who's another guy like, like Blackshear, for the most part, has been linked to Alabama. His recruitment, you know, John, you go look at his top schools right there. It's really interesting. It's Alabama, Arizona State, Kentucky, 
And uh, it's a really, really interesting group, right? Uh, you've got, you know, Alabama, of course, as the, you know, the mainstay, and then a couple outlier schools, I would say. Um, but he's been linked, you know, he's got his, his um, you know, he's got a connection. His family also has a connection to Coach Charles Huff, an Alabama assistant. Is there anything that you, that you know about his recruitment at all? Um, do you think you think you think he's considered an Alabama lean? Yeah, I've heard more Bama buzz with him uh, than, than other schools. Uh, I haven't talked to him much myself, um, but, but he's going to take a ton of visits. We, we do know that. He wants to take official. But, again, when in the world is that going to happen, right? Um, so we'll, that's all that's all TBD. But, yeah, certainly when you when you list the schools out, it sounds like, oh, okay, like Bama's probably in, in really good shape here. And they, they dip their toes up, up that way a little bit on the recruiting trail. Uh, in the state of Michigan. I remember Emil Echior uh, most recently, perhaps. Um, Kentucky's interesting on that list for me, though. I, I do think defensively, Kentucky is starting to sort of build a resume here. Obviously, Stoops is, is a great coach and a great story. Their defense is always good, but now they're starting to produce a little bit more on that side of the ball. You know, Josh Allen just went in the first round, uh, what, about a year ago. Um, and then last year, last cycle, they signed Justin Rogers out of the state of Michigan, where, of course, you know, David Payne is from. Uh, and now you start to say, okay, there's, there's a little bit of brewing here with Kentucky. So I think Kentucky's been able to, to dip up there uh, pretty consistently. And obviously Rogers was another you know, potential five-star type guy. But I do think that'll be interesting with Payne, especially if he's willing to wait it out and take the visits. Because you, you bet your you-know-what, he visits Kentucky, you know who his host is going to be. It'll be Rogers. So those things are really interesting to track and look at. Uh, but, but if you're a big defensive tackle and you got schools all over the country courting you and, and the SEC comes calling and Alabama comes calling, uh, you're going to factor in, especially like, like it seems like he's determined he could leave in the state of Michigan pretty early on. The state of Michigan has, has a really great class in 2021 at the top and oddly most of them at this point look like they're going to leave the state of Michigan as opposed to being a Wolverine or a Spartan. Uh, so that's really interesting to look at. Uh, LSU just pulled one of, one of the top players in Michigan, uh, Garrett Dellinger, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, the state of Michigan is interesting to me just from a national perspective, but with Payne itself, it, it, it does look like he's going to wait it out just a little bit, but we expect Bama to be in this thing until the end. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the state of Michigan too. That it's sort of an indictment on uh, on khaki pants up there. I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, obviously, it makes sense with Michigan State, you know, going through a coaching change. And any any first year coach that's here right now, you've literally not hosted one recruit as as the new coach. I mean, it's it's rough. You know, nobody's gonna gonna crush you for for maybe not getting it done on the trail. But yeah, really interesting that Michigan. First of all, that Michigan has a good recruiting class in state. Is, is rare. I've, I don't know if I've ever covered that. I mean, Detroit Cast Tech and King, there's some really good schools in the Detroit area that have produced a kid or two, but uh, not all at once. You know, there's five or six guys in this class in the state of Michigan that are, are legitimate blue chip prospects. So I, I do think it's interesting that most of them today are set to, to likely leave the state altogether. Uh, that is, is really interesting. Uh, Michigan just kind of keeps hanging around as a top 10, top 12 kind of team, but there's there's some chinks in the armor here. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't always sort of flow nicely when you try to build that Michigan picture. Although, let me tell you, I know we're going to talk Elite 11. The quarterback they got coming in, J.J. McCarthy, 
I think is the best quarterback that, that Jim Harbaugh's recruited to that program. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that's not hard to do, right? But, I mean, like, that's kind of been the whole thing with Michigan. You wait until they get a quarterback. Wait until the quarterback. They got Shea Patterson, and I get, you know, he was, you know, his time at Ole Miss coming off of injury didn't really work out how they wanted it to in Ann Arbor. Um, so that would be interesting, man, to really see if, uh, you know, because I, I saw he put on a show up there in Nashville, uh, and to really see if he can kind of save Jim Harbaugh's, you know, career, coaching career in Michigan. Yeah, he's a big-time player. He's going to IMG now, so he'll be throwing to, you know, Alabama commitments uh, or commitment uh, to Corey Brooks, um, and he'll be, he'll be protected by J.C. Latham on the blind side. So, yeah, so I think a lot of Alabama fans will be curious to see how J.J. plays this year. But he really slung it at the Elite 11. He finished number two in our overall rankings. Uh, we, we thought he was going to win it. You know, we thought for a second there he was going to win the whole thing. He was really consistent, uh, along with Caleb Williams, who did win the Elite 11. Um, and, man, he's just an active kid. There There's some similarities to Shea Patterson, actually. He's bigger, I think, but he's just—he's got that same sort of gunslinger, athletic traits uh, that Shea had, and obviously, you know, I think Shea won the Elite Eleven. So it, there, there are a lot of similarities to Shea, but um, but JJ's a little bit bigger and I think a little bit more powerful in, in that right arm. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does at IMG now, and of course uh, how he does at Michigan. But he's definitely. I think just from a talent perspective, the best guy that, that Harbaugh has brought in from the high school high school ranks compared to Joe Milton and Dylan McCaffrey and some of these other guys. Now, let's go ahead and get into that, John, the Elite 11 up there in Nashville and Murfreesboro uh, this, this, during this past week. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great to have competition back. And one thing that I liked that you guys did at Exile American was that, hey, you guys wanted video on a guy, you know, on his throws, we got it. You want rankings? We got it. That's what SL American has. So if you got listeners, if you want to go back and look at every, pretty much everything that happened at the Elite 11, SL American has it. And, uh, and John, you know, go ahead and looking at the final rankings, right? You had Caleb number one, JJ two, and then Miller Moss at three. You know, I'm kind of inclined to say two of your top three are guys that do blogs with SL American. So it is kind of no surprise. Uh, no, no, no. See, that's the thing. I mean, Yes, first of all, yes, we did We did luck into some really great bloggers, I will say that. But um, what we wanted to do, so day one, day two, and day three were so different, right? Um, so day one was, was like a regional camp. So basically like all the Elite 11 regionals you've been to, right? So it's, it's very much evaluation, opinion, subjective. So day one, Caleb destroyed everybody. The only person who threw better than Caleb on day one is a guy named Justin Fields. You may, you may have heard of him. Uh, everybody else, including other college players, including Trey Lance, who's going to be a, a first-rounder this year, uh, Caleb threw better than those guys. Uh, so day one was, was really no debate. But day two and day three, Tyler, were so interesting because they were, they were very tangible evaluation. It wasn't, oh, well, his, his release point, the fluidity, the accuracy. No, these were very tangible things. One, uh, on day two, it was a pro day, 20 throws or so. Every single quarterback made the same throws. So what we did is we, we charted the throws on a three-point scale. Three was on the money. We called them money throws. Two was on target, but the receiver had to adjust or the ball was a tad late or early. 
and ones were just misses, right? So we tallied up every throw for every kid uh, and developed a scoring system there. So the second day evaluation and ranking was, was, was numbers. It wasn't me. It wasn't an evaluation. It was just numbers for the most part. And then day three, it was very similar. They did an accuracy gauntlet with eight targets, eight different throws, eight different drops. And the only way you could get to the next throw was if you threw it perfectly through the, the target's center. So the target was basically think of a basketball hoop, uh, but, but horizontally. So you throw it in the hoop. And if you hit the rim, they didn't let you advance. So we, we actually thought rim, those rim shots were pretty good. You know, that was pretty accurate, pretty online. So basically they, they represented – the twos in the grading scale. So we charted every throw on day three. Twos hit the target, ones went through, or threes went through the target, and then ones were just misses. So those rankings now became a data-driven evaluation point. So then what we did for the final rank is we, we stuck to the numbers and said, okay, we rank each day. Let's take the averages from these three days of rankings and determine our champion. And that's what we did. Um, and Caleb Williams came out on top because he really didn't have a bad day. Now, he was never as dominant as he was day one in day twos and day three, but, but he, was, he was never bad. He was never in the middle of the pack or the bottom of the pack. He was always right there in the top five or so. So then by virtue of that, he won the Elite 11 over McCarthy and Moss, who were also top ten every day. Uh, so it was a really great group, and, and it just so happened that, yes, two of the top three were bloggers, but – very much an objective uh, rating scale and ranking scale, about as much as we could possibly be in this setting. No, I just, I just wanted to give you a hard time on that. But, you know, it, like I said earlier, it was great to have some competition. It was, it was awesome to, to see these guys, the best quarterbacks, uh, the, these high school guys out there um, just competing. And, it, and Caleb is a guy, you know, who is making a decision on Saturday – uh, you know, between Oklahoma, LSU, and Maryland, uh, and, you know, just come out there and see, hey, you know, this, the film that he had from last year was impressive, and then to come out here and see him do it and get evaluated by guys like Trent Hilfer and, you know, just even, even you know, even beating out, you know, and being on par with Justin Fields, too, is, you know, as a, as a guy who's just now going into his senior year, is super impressive. So one of those three schools is going to get a freaking baller. Yeah, yeah. Um, look. If you're an Alabama fan, I would not worry about where Caleb is committing on Saturday. I'm going to leave it there. I think you're good. You can watch and be a fan and, and not worry about it impacting, you know, your team, at least in a normal regular season schedule if you catch my drift. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to make that decision. He's really excited about it. Uh, we'll have full coverage, of course, at SI All-American. But, yeah, he's, he's really eager to, to get that thing done. But, obviously, he wanted to – win some hardware along the way, and he obviously, you know, did the job there. So it was it was cool. The Elite 11 was definitely different, you know. There was no seven-on-seven. Seven, so the one element of quarterback evaluation we really didn't get was that process. And how do you snap and evaluate the coverage, locate your target, pull that trigger? You know, we didn't get to really see that against a defense because of, of COVID restrictions. Uh, so, so I think that was tough, and for, for the kids, especially those who, who are known more for accuracy and ball placement than than that raw power, like a Caleb Williams, you know, the, the Miller Mosses of the world, the Drake Mays of the world, former Alabama commitment, that were really reliant and hoping that they could get seven on seven on that last day to really solidify their standing. 
so they didn't get that. So that was, was one of the big differences. And I apologize for the rain. You can hear it, but, you know, I am in Florida, so it is what it is. But uh, it was really it was really good to see competition in general. Um, and I thought, like you said, I thought we did a really good job with, with the team that we had in place, photo, video, rankings, analysis, uh, funny stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of everything in, in our coverage. And I appreciate the shout-out and the kind words. And there's there's one guy that Alabama, well, you know, obviously Alabama was interested in a lot of these guys, but one guy they're interested in right now, uh, Luke Altmeyer from Starkville, Mississippi, Starkville High School, who is at the Elite 11. What was first, John, your initial take of just what he was able to do through those three days? I know day one he was really impressive, but then he kind of faltered off in day three. But what was your, you know, because I don't know how much of him you had seen before this, but what was kind of your takeaways from his game? Yeah, this is my first time seeing Luke in person. Uh, obviously, everybody's seen his 2019 tape by now. It was it was his breakout campaign over there in Starkville, Mississippi. Um, but I just remember seeing him for the first time, and I was like, dang, he's, he's a little bit bigger than I thought he would be. You know, on tape, he probably looks six foot, six one, 175 pounds or something like that. I mean, he showed up, you know, six two, nearly 200 pounds. Uh, so I was kind of like, okay, Luke's. Luke's, Luke's used his quarantine time pretty well, you know, to, from what I can tell. So that was a good sign. Obviously, you want your, your, your quarterback to be a, a lead-by-example guy and clearly he's doing something right physically. And then, like you said, day one, really slung it well. Um, he's, he's got a real live arm, fluid release. So he was in point on day one. Second-level stuff uh, was money. His timing was good uh, with the scramble stuff. But basically, the hardest – the hardest part of day one, and anybody who ranked highly for us on day one, it means that they excelled in the hardest drill. Day one was, was purely designed to make it, make you uncomfortable, throwing off platform, throwing with trash cans over you, kind of all the stuff you see at, at these at these different camps and these quarterback gurus that they try to do to make things difficult. Uh, he excelled at that, throws incredibly well on the run, really balanced, uh, and can drive the football to the second level especially, but he could also snap to the third level, uh, which which I didn't see as much of on his tape. So I think that could go along with, with the added you know, weight gain and strength that he probably picked up. But he's throwing it to the third level much better than he did on tape in 2019, and I think that's why uh, for, the, for those in the rankings business, there's, there's no way he stays where he's at. He's, he's headed on the way up 100%. Um, after that, yeah, he struggled a little bit the pro day wasn't his best, uh, 20 structured throws uh, with, with different receivers and things like that. He, he missed a couple. A couple got away from him just a little bit. Uh, but that same deep shot that, that we started to see from him on day one really looked good in the pro day. I think he was, he was one of, I think, three or four quarterbacks who hit the seven cuts to the left and the right. So those are the corner routes that go to the front pylon of the end zone. They're about 50-yard throws. He hit them going left and going right, and I think 15-plus of the other quarterbacks only hit one or, or didn't hit either. Uh, he hit both. So I thought that was encouraging. You, you throw one stationary, second one you throw on the run. So I thought that was really impressive that he was able to showcase that. Uh, day three, look, it was a gauntlet on day three, man. It, like I said, the structure was set up kind of funky. If you didn't hit it perfectly, you couldn't move on. So – some of these guys were, were sitting there five, six, seven throws in the same target, and they're hitting the rim. They're right there, just not perfect. So 
it was a perfection type of drill that, that Trent Dilfer drummed up. And, uh, yeah, so he, he kind of got gassed a little bit because it was it was all consecutive. So, obviously, the more throws you make, the, the more tired you are. It's like a pitcher going 30 pitches in one inning. You know, we saw a lot of that on Wednesday. And, again, that's the, that's the day that the kids weren't prepared for. Even as early – as early as Monday, day one, kids were talking about seven-on-seven. Seven. That that was not canceled ahead of time. That was canceled, you know, within a day of, of the actual seven-on-seven seven tournament. So that was, was really a true change of pace. So it was kind of tough to, to dock kids on that third day. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, uh, obviously a Florida State commitment right now, but Alabama offered him – uh, in June, and I know he was fired up to get that, right? I mean, he had been talking to Coach Saban, and, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, a big offer anytime Alabama comes knocking. You know, John, I man, because we, we talked about this earlier, right? Like, Jalen Milrow, Texas commits, another guy Alabama has been still in constant communication with. Guy, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian's been contacting him, and now you look at um, Luke Aldmeyer, right? But they're they're committed to other schools, and to me, and I, and I get the doors that closed on Luke, but um, we talked about him earlier, and we haven't brought him up yet. But, I, I mean, I think Alabama needs to give Maddox Cop a look, man. I went back and after we talked, I was like, let me go look at a little bit more film. And I'm like, Alabama needs to be in touch with this guy. Yeah, he's he's definitely going to be the hot name uh, in terms of offers coming out of the Elite 11. Another Texas kid, we talked about the state of Texas being good to Bama, uh, a big Texas kid who, who was a, more of a basketball guy until the last year or so. But then he, he really focused on football, threw for 4,000 yards, almost 30 touchdowns last year, uh, and looks even better now in person. Uh, he's one that if COVID wasn't a thing and he hit camps all off season, he may already have an Alabama offer. He may already have 10 Power 5 offers. But, again, no camps. You know, he can't do much about it. Uh, but he saved some of that energy for this week. And really his, the highlight of his, his camp was, was night one, um, to finish the camp, they do this competition called the rail shot. And Alabama fans will will love the, the origin of the rail shot. It's actually supposed to be a duplicate of Tua to Smitty, right? Tua Tindavailoa to Devontae Smith, walk-off national title winning throw. You got a high-low against cover two on a vertical route right along the sidelines, just like Tua did uh, there to perfection. So the competition is everyone's doing rail shots. If you hit it, you stay. So everyone's hitting it, boom, boom, boom. But then it starts weeding out. And all of a sudden, there's three guys left. And look at these names here that that pop was right in there. It was Caleb Williams, who we told you just dominated day one. It was Justin Fields, who participated as, as a camp counselor. And it was Maddox Cop. Without even telling you how it ended, that's probably good enough for some kind of consideration. But on top of that, Caleb missed the next shot. Cop hits his next shot. Fields misses his next shot. So Cop beat Justin Fields and Caleb Williams in the rail shot competition day one. And that's a hard throw, 35 yards down the field, outside shoulder of the wide receiver right before he gets to the pylon. Uh, that's a, a small window throw, uh, and he won it. So, the t- um, you know, He's got to be more consistent and, and grow into that position. But, look, Power 5 offers are coming. Ole Miss just came for him. I would not be surprised if anybody went in and took a second look at this kid. But 
Uh, Luke Altmyer, who you asked me about, uh, recruiting-wise, yeah, uh, talked to him on Wednesday after the competition. And, look, I think the door's slightly open here. Uh, he said it multiple times that, that you know, you got to keep your options open. He said, he looked at me and he said, look, now you know, uh, recruiting's a business. Uh, it, it's a business at the end of the day. So he, he played a couple hypotheticals like FSU going over or, you know, grad transfer coming in and dominating. You know, those all could be detracting factors for a kid like that. Uh, so it's understandable that, that he is, is not completely shut down with his recruitment. He is fully intended on going to FSU as it currently stands, but he's keeping his options open just in case. And obviously Alabama is the school that we all know is in it. And and he's one of the first few quarterbacks to give me the quote that I know you get a lot when it comes to Alabama. And I said, hey, well, what is it about the appeal there? And he just said, they're Alabama. And we, we've heard that forever covering this program, but it's usually not a quarterback, right? It's usually other positions that say that because of so much success on Saturdays and Sundays, well, now quarterbacks are starting to say they're Alabama. Like, why? Well, I don't have to tell you why I'm interested in this program. So I thought that was pretty pretty unique. Uh, but there's no doubt that, that Luke Altmaier is a, a player who can absolutely play at UA. Uh, he fits what, what college football has become. He's kind of like a point guard. That's how I scout him. I, I, think he's, I think he's a John Stockton. I think he's an assist machine. He can get you the ball and let you go. He's a good fit for what Sarkeesian likes to do. You know, the the convention around Alabama from a passing standpoint has a lot more to do with Lane Kiffin than Steve Sarkeesian perceptionally. You think, oh, yeah, Tua chucking it down the field 40 yards. Well, that, that was more Lane, lane train. Steve has some of that, but he's still much more of a West Coast-oriented play caller. He, he wants bubble screens. He wants drag routes, over routes. Some of the stuff that Altmaier really shines with in the pocket and out. So I do think the fit would be incredible uh, from Alabama's perspective if Altmaier uh, continues to consider them. And, and by all indication, he absolutely is going to keep an eye on Alabama while remaining committed to the John, I appreciate your insight, man, on uh, just, you know, everything that we've talked about in the last, you know, 45 minutes or so. Real quick, uh, as we're recording, this is all this will obviously be up first thing Friday morning, but Ajay Hall again tweeted out, I got another one coming for you, Bama Nation. So, uh, who knows if somebody will commit by the time this is released, or maybe it could be a Friday afternoon thing or maybe a 4th of July thing. Um, but, yeah, Ajay Hall out there being a, a big recruiter for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I was going to say, you better not waste a lot of time on this podcast because it looks like it's going to be a, a decent weekend. I think a lot of kids want to commit this weekend. You know, 4th of July, um, look, it's it's just we're getting to that point where, you know, kids are going to start refocusing on their high school teams and, and whatever workouts they can do based on, on where they live. So recruiting is, is one of those where if, you, if you've, you've waited to this point, you're kind of thinking it's either one of two things. Either you're going to pop in the next – couple weeks or you're going to take this thing well into the fall closer closer to december and signing day so i think the kids who are realizing that they want to be committed before the senior season starts july 4th weekend family around all of that you know seems like a pretty natural fit to make a big decision and i think you're going to see a ton of recruiting news this weekend it's not just caleb williams even though he'll be the headliner awesome well uh john again appreciate your time man 
and uh, and look forward to you know kind of moving forward in the summer, man. You know when recruiting stuff really, you know maybe in person. You know when we get to Labor Day weekend, maybe we'll have an in person visit with a hopefully um, you know guys going on campuses and witnessing games, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And and of course, SL American is going to have everybody covered. And uh, and thanks again for your time, John. Absolutely, Tyler. Anytime, man. Keep up the good 